This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to a five-part limited series podcast on diversity and inclusion hosted by Odyssey Houston market manager Sarah Frazier as she chats with Dr. Laura Murillo, CEO of the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, about the life experiences that inspired her to write the book Lead in Life which is available now on Amazon.com. Here's Sarah Frazier and Dr. Laura Murillo. One thing that I think you and I definitely have in common is our sense of fashion and our um, complete stubbornness at not dressing down. You always look like a million bucks. Thank you. There's a great story, and I, I, I think, you know, I, I wrote an article once that was entitled Don't Wear Jeans on a Friday, and I just got, you know, crucified. Everybody thought that was so old-fashioned of me. But there's a really interesting story about when that was a really important turning point for yeah. you, yeah. that there was a meeting that happened, and you were able to go because of what you were wearing. Can you tell us yeah. that story? Yeah, so, and I could do a whole section, a whole book, actually, on casual Fridays and <laughs> implications of all of that. So anyway, but let's focus on, on uh, what happened. So yeah, you got to know your environment, right? And so my environment was there. I was in the Texas medical center and Fridays was casual khakis, right? And a polo shirt that had our logo on it. That Always was a so lovely, lovely look for women, by the yes. way. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like some good khakis. <laughs> Nothing like it. So, so you know what? Actually, now you probably have triggered something. It's probably had less to do with my looking professional versus the I was not going to wear khakis. <laughs> but, uh, you know, folks took advantage of it and, and felt comfortable and, and it was more than appropriate. I did not. I was, I really still felt like I had so much to learn and I was the only Hispanic on the executive committee and most of the people who worked at Memorial Hearn who were Hispanic were in the valet areas, in the kitchen, in the janitorial services, right? And they looked to me, whether I realized it or not. And I know it because they would tell me, we're so proud of you. You're on that top floor and you dress so professionally. And I was representing not just that community, but I was a representative of that executive committee. <clears throat> so I thought, well... The CEO on Friday still comes in wearing her suit. And it was horrible in Houston working at Memorial Hermann because 
it's 100 degrees here oftentimes, right, or close to it. Yes. And we were required to wear stockings. I don't know if you remember those days. I do. They were early in my career, but I do remember them. And you would not wear shoes if you were not wearing stockings, right? I mean, it was just a no-no, at least in the formal settings that I was in. So on top of the suits, you were rocking the stockings. And it was Friday, and we were having our meeting, and she gets this call, and she has to go over to meet some executives, and she looks around, and she looks around, and everybody's in khakis. Right. And so <laughs> there I am, ready to go. Just a dark suit. And she looked, she's like, let's go. Come on. This is my shot to staff her with my notebook, with questions, with prepping her. And she notices I'm waving at a bunch of people. And I, hey, Sarah, how you doing? Hey, so-and-so. Hey, how do you know so many people? Well, I had taken the role of uh, fundraising for United Way, and so it allowed me the opportunity to meet all these department heads. And my job had always been people. And so it offered her an insight to see me in action and for me to support her in action. And that one simple thing of looking the part every day made an impact and made a difference for me. I rest assured if I had been in khakis and that red polo, someone else would have gone. Right. That one, one action made a difference. And then after that, it's proving yourself, right? But that one action got me the let's go. I think there's something so important about being ready to go. Yes. Mentally setting yourself, even if, you know, when you're physically ready to go, you're mentally ready to go. And I think there is a link there that, Many people overlook or under, underestimate. Yeah. But I I worry about what's happening on Zoom right now because oh, yeah. people are not physically ready to meet with someone. No. And it's it has a, to be affecting us mentally. It's a different mindset. And I say it in the book, be ready, stay ready. And one of the conversations I have with the young leaders is that don't drop your guard and don't be so casual You've got to prove yourself. You know, we talk in the book about brooches. I had this whole collection of brooches because I saw older women who were, in fact, executives and leading teams and whatnot. They had a brooch, and I was in my early 20s. And so I cut my hair and was wearing a suit and would put my brooch on as a badge of honor. I don't know. Maybe we should bring the brooch back. Uh, well, maybe not, but... uh But uh, yeah, and so interesting over time, right, it's important to evolve. Mm -hmm. So the brooch and the the dressing that way was important to me earlier on. And then later on, I had an executive coach, again, thanks to my former boss, Juanita Romans, who was CEO of Memorial Hermann. She had an executive coach. And when she got the executive coach, then she provided that same person to her executive team. That's amazing. And so one of the things that I got in feedback was drop the suit. Don't wear a suit so often. She said, because now you've got hundreds of people reporting to you and you want to be less, you know, intimidating and less formal and you want them to approach you and you're already, you know, very tall with heels. You know, you're over six feet tall in heels and you're like, you know, Hispanic and all of these other things. I want you to be approachable. And so over the years, right, one must modify and make changes based on where you are in your career. But if you're new and you're starting out in a professional setting, you should look around and and play that part. 
and be ready. Dress for the job and, and, and work for the job that you want, not that you have, right? That's what Take care say. of the job that you want and the next one will find you. But folks often, they get the job and they're already trying to get promoted. They can't even make it on time to work. Right. So a lot of challenges there. You know, you work with, um, with urgency and you talk about urgency. Mm-hmm. And then when I think about you and your brand, I think about you as leaning forward and leaning in. You're, you're in constant motion forward. Mm-hmm. Is that a conscious choice of yours? Yes. How, and how, how does that, how do you do that? Yeah. Well, a friend of mine said I have two gears if I were a car, fifth and asleep. <laughs> and Sarah, I think it's a combination of a zest for life, things that happened to me, such as the gun being held at my head and others, where I feel like every day is a day to take advantage of. You know how you wake up sometimes and, and you're like, oh, today's my birthday, and, and you feel different on your birthday because either, well, for some people, they're not happy, but let's say. I'm always happy on me my too. birthday. Me too. I'm very happy. I celebrate the whole month. Yeah. That's how happy I am. Or you're going on vacation. You are exhilarated because you are going on vacation mm-hmm. or doing something you enjoy doing. I try to do that every day. It is a conscious effort to say, you know what? That sun is out. I have food. I'm healthy. It's that conscious just, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Mm-hmm. I know people who wake up, they haven't even stepped a foot off the bed, and they're already complaining. That by the time they brush their teeth, they've had six negative thoughts in their mind or they're verbally, oh, it's hot. Oh, all of these negative things. And so it's a conscious effort for me to put positive thoughts in my mind and have my list of things that I want to accomplish and just go at it. The one quote that I wrote down that I'm going to um, mimic okay, is the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Sure. I love that. It's important. Now, for someone who is obsessive compulsive like me, it has its downsides. Sure. However, I would say for the most part, it is very important because you pay attention to detail. So one of the things that I learned when I was working on my doctorate that has prepared me for most things in life is attention to detail. Mm -hmm. It taught me how to compartmentalize. I learned so much than just getting the doctorate. It has served me really well. So I give people this test when I meet them or they're in the Emerging Leaders Program or when I speak to folks and I'll say, okay, here's a test tomorrow when you wake up. Think about that quote. And from the time you step out of the bed, think about it. So you get out of bed, maybe you go and brush your teeth first. Do you put the cap back on? Do you close the lid on the toilet? Do you hang your towel up? Do you go back and make your bed? Do you put your house slippers in their place? Or do you just get out of bed and you're happy you're up and you're rushing to get to where you're going? Whatever your normal thing is to do, all I'm saying is to observe that and then think about it. Because what it will tell you is whether or not you are being conscious and detailed about what you do. And so 
if you are one of those people who doesn't do any of those things, you can start. First of all, that first thought, make it a good thought. Secondly, go and brush your teeth and cover the toothpaste cap. Close the toilet lid. Put your slippers where they go. Make your bed. So if you start applying that to what you do, instead of saying, well, that's okay, right? There's trash on my desk. That's okay. Um, the report that I'm submitting to Sarah, that's okay. It's a little smudged, but it's okay. When you start developing that it's okay mentality, you're not doing the things that are the best that you can do them. And so you're like in training. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. You care. You care that your report looks right. You care that there are grammar mistakes in what you're submitting. You care that if somebody goes in your car, they can sit there and it looks like it's a car and not a trash can. You care that you want to do things well. So the way you do anything, the way you do everything. Apply it. Take the test. See how you do. And you, well, I'm OCD, so yeah, all of my toothpaste caps are perfectly applied, but that does not go for everyone in my family. (laughs) The, The one thing you say too is, what is the end game? Yeah. And I think that's really important in knowing where do you want this all to end up? Yeah. And if, because it, it's the difference between meandering through life, right? And aggressively pursuing a goal. Do you, I just want, it, it, this just occurred to me, do you sit down each year and make goals or do you constantly yes. make goals or how, how does your goal yeah. setting work? All the above. So I will sit down and say, okay, in 2022, I want to do these three things. And more important, I think anybody can say that, but it's then I go the step further. By first quarter, this is what I have to do toward that goal. Like map it out. Hold yourself accountable. Even if it's just your immediate family. Here are my three goals. Like I had three goals for 2021. Very big goals. The third one is pending, but I'm working on that third one. You still have time. You have four I do. months. It's going to happen, Sarah. I hope. <laughs> so in your time as CEO of the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, you have brought the chamber from the last of the chambers in Houston to the okay. second. Yep. And created the largest Hispanic chamber in the United States. One of the most influential, absolutely, and Credit goes to board members and staff who have collectively and individually made it happen, Sarah. My fortune is that I was able to pull together a group of very savvy individuals who understood the value and importance of what we were trying to do and that I enjoy building. If that chamber had already been on top of its game, probably would not have interested me but the fact that I could go in and work to help build it and create it Mm -hmm. and set a strategic plan that we put together my first year with other board members and consultants in terms of a roadmap, and then to have the support of board members say, go, go get it, go bring it, go make it happen, we're here, tell us how we can help, allows all of the challenging times and moments to, to pass because you're focused on that end of the, you know, end of mm-hmm. it where, okay, this is where we're going. 
and we're all going in the same direction versus doing a lot of things that is is busy work and pro- productive, if you will. Right. But when you know this is where we're trying to get, this is our end stop, and we might have to get off the freeway and then stop at the gas station, but at the end of the day, this is our destination. When mm-hmm. you know that, your team knows that, and you have a high bar, a high level of expectations of how things are done, and the rest of your team understands that bar, that bar's not dropping because you get a new person on your team and they decide that bar's too high. And in our case, many times we're competing against ourselves with all of these events and all of the things that we do. It's like, right. how do we outdo ourselves? Well, we do. And grow every year. And grow it and grow mm-hmm. it and continue to engage people. And one way has been through diversity because we are able to be more than just Hispanic. It's allowed us to do more for Houston, more for business, more for the country, more nationally and internationally. I think the radio and TV programs have been a really important part of that diversity. It was what attracted me to you in the in the beginning when I saw the TV campaign of Houston's New Majority on KHOU. And I had been looking for a way to engage our radio stations with Houston's Hispanic community. Little did I know you were also looking for a way to engage Mm -hmm. the chamber with English speaking traditional general market stations. I think it's a very non-traditional way that you looked at that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, who knew that 10 years later we'd be talking about your book, right? right? I think next year we'll have worked together now for 10 years. That's incredible. And certainly want to thank you, Sarah, for being that visionary, providing the opportunity, being forward thinking and progressive enough to understand that it's a mutually beneficial opportunity. And I think the more that we, you know, get out of our silos, right? Because the easy thing to do would have been Spanish language radio, Spanish language television, all of the above. And only focusing on Hispanics, but being able to come to at the time, which was CBS Radio, now Odyssey, and bring in governors, mayors, CEOs, and people thinking, well, wait a minute, I thought this is a Hispanic chamber. Yes, it is. And we're 42% of the demographics, and our buying consumer power in Houston is over $54 billion. So, yes, we want to, we need to show diversity and engagement. Mm-hmm. We can't expect others to do it and and for us not to. So I think it's been absolutely a game changer and something that no other chamber in the country has done. No one. Yeah, I think it's really been um, great for your exposure and opening that up and um, and great for all of us. And I think we were way ahead of where things are now. It's You, go, you talked about your book and how it wasn't time then. It you know, we were a little ahead of it then, but so. we're definitely on the mark now. We've hit our stride. Yes. At probably the perfect time. Um, one thing that the chamber really took a bold and loud stance on was DACA. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, you know, really proud to support you on that. But you talk about community community partners helped you along the way. Um, and in that in that specific um, chapter, you talked about your partnerships with the sports teams here in town. And so, you know, I, so we're talking about radio and TV, and now you mentioned the sports teams. How did you get involved with them, and did you face any sort of resistance, or did they jump in with you? How did that work? Yeah. Well, Sarah, I've got something that I call my 3 a.m. 
moment of inspiration that I tend to get every now and then and just always trying to increase partners and the level of engagement that this chamber could have. And what's bigger in Houston than sports? Very few things are. And I was at a game, at a Texans game, and I looked around and I saw the sheer number of Hispanics. I went to an Astros game and I saw, gee, there's so many Hispanics at these Astros games. And I love sports myself. And so I thought, well, again, Sarah, I didn't see someone else doing this. It was just, I thought, well, I know Jamie and I know the Texans and He's called me a couple of times to talk to me about their strategy to continue to bring in Hispanics. And at the time, and still continues to be, their biggest area of growth and opportunity is among Hispanics in the NFL. So I said, what are you trying to do? How can we partner? And I listened. And he said, these are the things that we're trying to do. And then I took what he was trying to do, and I went back and sat on and thought about it. And then I went back again, and I said, well, what if we help you with those things this way? Could you provide us with the following? And it was at a time early on in the Texans' career where they were not doing well, right, that the team was not winning. It was early on. Again, timing was important. Jamie and I had a very good professional relationship, so the Mm -hmm. timing was right. And then from there, once that was done and it was mutually beneficial, then I was able to take that idea to other groups, right? And so... It was just a thought in my head and, again, trying to be in places where people did not expect us to be. So there they are at the Texans game, and there's a 30-second public service announcement about the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce serves as the leader of Houston's new majority. And in those photos in the 30 seconds, we had non-Hispanics and Hispanics in those photos. And it was more than just the chamber, Sarah. I was trying to elevate our community, and I was trying to diversify these conversations, Mm -hmm. that these were not Hispanic conversations. These were about business. This was about Houston. This is about being better. And we could do all of these things if we work together. You want to get that? No. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the day, those doors certainly, those doors opening were a new way of doing things and just continued a continued way to build this brand. Well, I think that's a really important thing for people outside of Houston to understand because I think the one thing that is so special about our city is that we are what America is going to look like in 2050, right? We are leading the way. And so what happens here are community leaders and our community at large. We are you know, 20 years ahead of America. And so there are things that we are doing here that I think are really important to set the stage for that to scale across the entire United States. And uh, Dr. Stephen Kleinberg, professor at Rice University, wrote in his book specifically about that, that Houston is serving as this model. And in one of his chapters, he, he quotes several of the things that the Houston Hispanic Chamber, our board and our staff have done to be part of this melting pot. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we should all be able to win. It should not be an us versus them. And I think that's been a huge part of what I've been trying to do is that diversification in everything that, that I do. And it's a conscious thought 
to look and see who's at the table and who is not, who is not at the table. And that includes young people as well as older people in different sectors, and and we've just got to make a conscious effort. And so in writing this book, I thought, okay, the backdrop of all of this is diversity, equity, and inclusion. When we've done it well, where there have been diversity champions like yourself, like the mayor, like Jamie Roots and others who get it and understood it and saw value. They saw value. One of the most interesting parts of that, though, for me was that you talked about how corporations need to diversify their boards, how terrible the lack of diversification is. But also you turned the lens on yourself Mm -hmm. and your board. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by that because it didn't occur to me Mm -hmm. that diversification, equity, and inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion need to go both ways. Yeah. So it's very easy to have expectations of others. It's a little harder when we apply those things to ourselves. And so my conversation with the board was, we need to set an example. And so when we identify people who can participate in the Emerging Leaders Program in our Business Institute on the Chamber Board, on the Foundation Board, I don't know if we've noticed this, but no one is Hispanic on the Chamber Board at that time. And I said, if we're going to continue to grow and move into these verticals that I wanted to establish, which were the Health Summit, the Women's Conference, the Energy Summit, I said, we need people who are specialists in those areas, CEOs who understand those areas, those sectors. I don't know everything I need to know about those spaces. And if I'm trying to move into those areas, we need to recruit people in those professions. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the CEOs of those areas happen to be non-Hispanic, which will serve us well. And it will also serve them well because they get to see what we are trying to help convey to others. And so some people were for it. Most of them were. A couple were hesitant saying, no, this is our board. We are Hispanic. The board members should all be Hispanic. And others said, no, that's not the way it should be. Let's let's move forward. And so we've had some extraordinary non-Hispanics who even after their terms expired remain involved with us. And the conversations that we would have were very different than had we all been all women or all from the same two zip codes or all from the same industries. Yes. It just makes you better. It and you don't di- have to be afraid of it. Right. It gives you a diversity of ideas yes. and of thought. And, and I think how that's somebody the else would that look at it quite get yeah. there. You know, every, yeah. everybody thinks it's just so that it looks right, but it's not. It's if so you do it, it right and it's not just window dressing and you engage. And I remember getting feedback on some things and I, really? Oh, yeah, well, that's that's a perception. Oh, oh, no, no, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to do this. Okay, we'll change it because I don't have that back, you know, background right? to know that. So you have to help get me there. Oh, okay. So let me tell you, Sarah, if I've done anything right at the Chamber of Commerce, it has been to identify and help recruit and nominate to our nominations committee top, top leaders who don't need to be there. As a matter of fact, I've said no to establish bylaws and policies on, you know, what we can and cannot do. That's there forever, long after I leave this chamber. Those things are in place so long as the board wants to continue moving in that direction. And it just sets a very high bar of the expectation of board members and 
People want to be on this board today. Very high-level people want to be on this board. And we've been able to recruit the CEOs of organizations and companies where before that wasn't necessarily the case. It was who's Hispanic at such and such company and they might be a manager and somehow that was going to help us get where we were going. Mm -hmm. We're playing a very different game today. One thing that you mentioned when we were talking about this um, and, and Dr. Kleinberg was the Emerging Leaders Program. And in his book, Uh, which is Prophetic City, Houston on the Cusp of a Changing America. He said that your emerging leader program, quote, may well have a long-term impact on Houston. And I think of all the things that I've seen you do, emerging leaders is probably the most special. Yeah. So can you tell us about that program? Yeah. So the Emerging Leaders Institute is run out of our foundation. And so I told you guys I'd never been a VP, but I am a founding president and CEO of our foundation and some incredible board members, staff, and others who've helped us propel this program where now we have over 300 who've graduated as emerging leaders. And these are young professionals, Sarah, who are in Houston who have less than 10 years of work experience. Okay. And the why was every year, right, stepping up our game and For me, it's the excitement of running and doing and always trying to continue to stay passionate about it. And I realized after having gone to speak at a Rotary Club meeting where everyone was white, everyone was over 65, and there was only one woman in the room, and she was the one checking us in. And I looked around, and I saw all the great work. I was a recipient of the Rotary Club scholarship, and I thought, what's going to happen when these individuals move on and stop participating road. Who's going to take over? Where's the bench? So it was very easy for me to see they didn't have a bench. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't realize is that we didn't have a bench either. And with that, I my one of my go-tos are these big uh, post-it, the big white, you know, on my walls. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about what would make sense for our corporate partners, what the needs were, how we can elevate what the chamber was trying to do. And what we were missing. There was no one under 50 involved with us. And why would they be? They weren't necessarily business owners, etc. So this gave them a reason to want to be involved with us, yes. Number one. Number two, allowed us to recruit people to get engaged. And it also allowed us to provide an opportunity for these young leaders to interface with people like you and other executives. And so I took those white sheets out, put them on my wall, and just started thinking of my own experience. What helped get me here? Mm-hmm. People, passion, persistence. Who are the people? What did I need to learn? What didn't I, what didn't I know? Resumes, professional dressing, interviews, coaching. Mm-hmm. And I just put together this curriculum. And I had so many people tell me it would not work. People who believe Why? Why did they feel it would they work? They said, you know, those programs are already out there. I said, no, it's not. Show me this program. They said, well, there's a lot of leadership programs. I said, yes, there are. But you need to have money to do them it's much later in your career or it's when you're in high school but who's catering to this group the young professional and they said well it's just it's a lot of work and so again all of the naysayers motivated me like nothing else and we didn't have money to do it and my philosophy similar with the sports is like don't worry about the money focus on what you're trying to do where are you trying to get what's your end game And then the money will follow. And Sarah, 
I still thank all of those sponsors and individuals who gave, you know, whether it was 150000 or a $1,000 check, whatever it was, to help us sustain that program. We have raised over $2 million for that program. We have graduated over 300. You and so many others have come to speak to these young individuals. They've run for office. They've quit their jobs and followed their passions. They have enrolled in Ph.D. programs. They have moved to London. They have felt that it's okay to be 26, Hispanic, not married, not have children, and follow that career track and move to London because they've got 300 people and our board and others saying, go, it's okay. Isn't it interesting, too, because when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we don't often think about age. And it occurs to me as we're having this conversation that age is an important part of the diversity. And we overlook it. And their perspective is so different. Their expectation, their needs, their wants are so different that it's how we've not really been conscious and the opposition that they get because they're young. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've had to advocate I've had to advocate for young people to say, look at their experience. And and when I say young people, I'm talking about they're 35 or 40. They're not 16, right? Right. They're young professionals. And you're opening that door. You're giving them an opportunity. And it keeps everything just relevant. And right, especially now with social media and all of these other things, is this, it's a whole new ballgame. And what I have found, Sarah, is though into, those individuals are so appreciative and, and I just remember the people who did that for me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do it for them. Well, and as a business owner, too, um, or as somebody, you know, running this group of radio stations, if we don't pay attention to what Gen Y, um, Gen Z are thinking and believing and feeling and desiring from our products, then our products aren't going to make it into the next 30 years. Yeah. It's really important to have that diversity of thought. Yeah. Um, so... One thing that you said about um, the chapter, it was a chapter about you accepting the CEO role at the Houston Hispanic Chamber. And the quote is, don't assume that those who lack the industry background, educational credentials, or work experience are not able to step up to the plate. And that is a even a different form of diversity, right? Mm-hmm. And not making everyone follow the same track, having the same pedigree. Mm-hmm. Does that, you know, how does that play into this whole diversity angle? I want to be very thoughtful when I answer that. I think we put a lot of emphasis on education, where people went to school, what they have studied. And that, of course, is very important, right, when you look at someone's resume. But then they come into your environment, they're part of the team, and I think it is important to allow people an opportunity to try things, to challenge them. And I'm going to give you a very specific example. Jennifer, who works at our office, she has four children under the age of 11. Wow. Four children under the age of 11. That's terrifying. And one is under age one. And she has served as my executive assistant now for over a year. And this year we promoted her to chief of staff. Because she has tremendous skill in getting things done. 
And I think that's partly to do because she's a mother of four. And in order for her to operate, she has to get things done. And she has to be organized. And she's got to be timely. She has to anticipate needs. Those are skill sets that you can go to college and get a master's degree and a doctor degree. And you may never have that because you've not been in the environment or circumstances to understand that. And in a place where we work with urgency mm-hmm. and with all the calls and questions and opportunities and partnerships and sponsorships, you need someone on your team who is a multitasker. And so, yes, I try to pay very close attention to people's skills, but also I always ask them, where do you want to be after this? Where are you trying to go? Where, what's, your, what's your end game here? And so I give the example of Guillermo. He wanted to go into government affairs. He had worked in a bank for nine years before coming to our offices. And so we gave him a job title. We made sure he was assigned to City Hall and those kind of type of things that would help him ultimately go into government relations. Fast forward after two years, he was hired by AT&T. He got a job in the government relations office. And today he's in Colorado. He manages all of the government relations for Colorado and Oklahoma. Wow. And he's young, probably about 40 years old. So we have to help people achieve their dreams and identify what they're good at, where they can excel, and how we can challenge them. Thank you for listening to part three of this five-part limited series podcast on diversity and inclusion, hosted by Odyssey Houston's market manager, Sarah Frazier, as she spoke with Dr. Laura Murillo, CEO of the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and author of the book, Lead in Life. Be sure to check out the next part of this five-part limited series, as well as Dr. Laura Murillo's book, Lead in Life, available now on Amazon.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.